Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Chem Combos podcast. Today we're joined by Dr. Danny Arias Rotondo. Danny, would you like to introduce yourself, please? So I'm Danny Arias Rotondo. My pronouns are she, her in English or ella in Spanish, with an Argentinian accent, of course. I was born and raised in Argentina in Buenos Aires, and I did undergrad in Argentina. I moved to the U.S. for uh, for my PhD. I got my PhD working with Jim McCasker at Michigan State University. Then I moved to the East Coast and went to New Jersey for a postdoc with Dave McMillan at Princeton. And now I am the inorganic chemist at Kalamazoo College, which is a small uh, liberal arts school in Southwest Michigan. So Michigan looks like this, it's right there. I do synthetic inorganic chemistry and also some physical inorganic chemistry. I do always joke that I have an identity crisis because I don't ever know exactly what box to put me in, <laughs> which, and we can talk about that later. I do think that that's a strength, but I don't really know what kind of chemist I am. And outside of loving coronation chemistry and photophysics, I have two cats. I love my cats very much. My husband and I also keep leopard geckos. So we have a ton of leopard geckos. I am a very slow runner and I am a bit of a faster reader. I'm definitely a bookworm. And I do love ice cream and I think ice cream is its own food group. What's your favorite flavor? <laughs> of ice cream? Ah, it depends. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> so in Argentina, in Argentina, it's called Sambachon and it's like it's like an egg custard with Marsala wine, and it's amazing. Mm. And actually, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Chicago meeting some twi- fr- Twitter friends, and we went to this Argentinian gelato place, and they had it. And it was probably one of my happiest moments in almost 10 years in the U.S., because I had my favorite ice cream from back home in the U.S. Yeah. It was crazy. In Michigan, I do love cherry ice cream. Black cherry ice cream is pretty fantastic. So in the U.S., I prefer things that are very flavored. I have very strong feelings about ice cream. No, that's <laughs> totally fine. That's totally. Fine. I think I think for me, I don't know. Probably classic mint chocolate chip or even like Biscoff flavored. So if you know like the Biscoff biscuits, um, like that's a that's a great flavor. I've never had that one. Mm. I'm gonna have to go to the U.K. to try it. that. That's oh, really yeah. good. Mm-hmm. It's really good. What about you, yeah. Medina? I like. Uh, I'm a cherry person too. I like cherry ice mm. cream. It's it's really good, but I was I was actually wanted to ask you since it's raining and and not a good weather, what are your thoughts on like what is the remedy from rain? Like for me, it's it's uh, hot chocolate. Like it's a go to drink. Mm. I I love the idea of hot chocolate, mm. but I don't drink it very often. And I also like the idea of tea. Like a nice cup of tea would be fantastic. And then I uh-huh. don't drink it. <laughs> a lot of water, but uh. Curling up on the couch with a book and my cats—that's the to me that's the perfect thing to do uh, to do when it's raining. And when when I was in grad school, my husband and I we we were dating at that point, and we lived together and we had this big blue couch that the cats and friends and time destroyed. We don't have it anymore. But it was this big blue IKEA couch, like super cheap couch, but whatever, it was great. And so I could lay down and read. When he was playing video games and the cats were both of them uh, around. And it was just perfect. It was our little family doing what we loved. And if on top of that, it was raining, fantastic. Amazing. That to me would be perfect. And actually, you can see there, Berta is my other cat. She's Mm -hmm. right there. Watching over, being like, am I invited to this? No, of course. (laughs) They're always invited. 
Henry, what about you? Uh, I think for me, probably, yeah, same as Danny, like tea for sure. Like cup of tea is a classic <laughs> British thing when it's raining. Um, also, freshly baked cookies are a good thing. Ooh. Anything sweet. Yeah, I've really got into baking over the last kind of year or so. And I essentially have like freezer cookie dough that I can put in the oven yeah. whenever I want a cookie. It's just, it's yeah. great. Yeah. What's your favorite thing to bake? Mm, probably cookies, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, either that or like baked oats that's been like going around as like a trend. And that's pretty nice. Hmm. Yeah, there's a increased uh, lin- a linear increase in terms of uh, the, the the your passion for cooking and the number of pounds that you gain. And for me personally, that's, sure. that's a struggle because <laughs> I'm like, I love baking. Let's just keep adding butter and sugar and uh. <laughs> have fun with it. But then I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so fat. So work out. To everyone who is listening, workout is important. Just anything, anything in moderation is great. No health yes. expert, but yeah, for sure. It, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a great digression that I loved, absolutely. But coming back to science, <laughs> we we usually digress in the middle, but today let's just blame rain and bad weather for it. We were wondering whether you could tell us more about Joss and how awesome it is. It is absolutely awesome, indeed. <laughs> I do, I do love a, a good pun. So Jaws started from a combination of the pandemic and being stuck at home and all that. And also from a deep conviction that it can't always be the professors who get the stage. So my, my favorite, this is, this is a, a line that I'm very proud of because this, this one's mine. Jaws is not just me, but this line is mine which is Jaws is no big fish, just sharks. Because the idea is to not have the big fish on stage, right? These all started, there were different conversations between, so Madison, Monica, Craig, and I, we all had at some point, some conversation of this point with one of or the other and some tweets about these. But it's always the same thing when you go to a conference, right? You have all the professors, either the really big fish who are, tenured and full professors and named professors and like if they had like all their accolades and honors like if they were wearing them like the military do they would just like you know fall flat on their faces because all of the weight of all the things that they've that they've earned and and they stand up there and they tell you oh yeah I didn't do any of this um these were my students and postdocs and blah 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 look how awesome everything is right and you also have the assistant professors who are trying to get tenure, and so they are talking about things, they're presenting their work, and you have everything in between, but most of the time it's professors giving the talks, right? Or or, or PIs at national labs, whatever the equivalent would be. And the truth is, a lot of those people, not everyone, because that's not the case for, for assistant professors, but a lot of those people already have a name made for themselves, right? The moment you're a full professor and you're a named professor and you get all these accolades and awards and whatnot, people know who you are and you are not the one at the bench doing these things. But at the same time, if you want to get a job, you need to make a name for yourself, right? And we all end up relying on our PI's name to kind of make a name for ourselves. And it happens a lot that a lot of people have no experience giving talks. They have no idea what it is like to visit a department, like go on on a seminar visit, right? They barely presented the research outside. Like they have, and so they don't have practice. They, people don't know them. 
And then these people have to go out and get a job and they have to practice giving talks and whatnot. And so we wanted to give those people the stage, right? We wanted a platform for them, for people whom, in whose place we've been, in whose shoes we've been, either we are right now or we've been very recently. And one thing that happened to me as a postdoc is I got to give talks at places because I asked. Going back to what you were saying in our pre-recording talk, Medina, you said like, the worst thing they can say is no, and that's absolutely true, right? That's that's my philosophy. You just ask. People are usually too busy to boycott you, right? So the most they say is no, or they just ignore you. So I asked a lot of people, hey, can I come give a talk? And they said yes. And I benefited from that. I benefited from just being shameless and having a good network, okay? I, I do have a really good network of people. So that was super useful. Anyway, I digress. My point is not everyone thinks about that. Not everyone thinks about, hey, I can just ask and give a talk. And if we are always relying on our own shamelessness and just our audacity, our courage to go ask someone if we can go give a talk, that limits opportunities, right? Because not everyone even thinks about that. And even if you tell them, not everyone does it. So we wanted to remedy that. We wanted to stop to break the cycle of it's always the big name professors giving talks. And I make the joke that we are all synthetic chemists, like the four of us, at some point or the other, we were synthetic chemists. So if you want something and it doesn't exist, you make it. So we made it, right? We made it happen. We made, we, we created JAWSCAM. For those of you who don't know, JAWS stands for just another webinar series. Ah, and chem for chemistry, of course. We wanted to call it just another chemistry seminar, but JAX was already taken. And we thought that like going against, trying to compete for a name with one of the biggest journals was a bad idea. So we went with JAWS, still waiting for the and disease from Spielberg, but that that will eventually happen, I think. And yeah, and so, and we went for it. Honestly, it was some conversations, all thanks to Twitter. Until a couple of weeks ago, none of us had met in person. It, it was all thanks through to Twitter. We and we started, and and it's been going. We did twenty five sessions. Now we're on break, and we're coming back in August. But yeah, we we did it. You know, it was, it was very odd from the point of view that we just said, "Hey, this should happen," and we all said, "Yeah," but I wouldn't make it. I can't do it on my own. And so the four of us got together and said, hey, let's make it happen. And we made it happen, right? And we've even gotten sponsorships and people are excited about it. And we've had some fairly big names moderating and and we've had amazing science presented at JAWS. People come with all sorts of crazy, awesome science that they do. And the presentations are good. The like people put a lot of time and effort into coming up with a good talk, right? Because the other thing that personally really annoys me is when big name professors are like, and or like either say that someone else made the slides, or you can tell from one slide to the other that like the style is completely different and this is just a mishmash of slides that their students made. This doesn't happen because it's the people who did the science giving the presentations. And so the quality of, of the science and of the presentations has been amazing, constantly, consistently amazing. And the questions are great. And you don't have the, the person who's like, this is more of a comment than a question. So 
it is this very high quality science, very professional, supportive community who welcomes you to give your talk and, and show your science and also respects it and again and tries to help with good questions that's awesome what you told us also like the appreciation yeah. of grad students it's amazing mm -hmm. i think it's putting you know grad students at the forefront of research which is like you say the important thing where perhaps they're not in the spotlight where they should be yeah i work at an um, undergrad only institution uh, k college is only undergrads and so i see the awesome things that undergrads can do on a daily basis and so having undergrads present their research is also super important to me, right? It's same with postdocs, right? Like I sometimes feel that when you're a grad student, you have a support system in place. Even if it's not obvious, there's a support system just based in the numbers that you don't have as a postdoc. When you're a postdoc, you're just like there and you have your like freshly printed PhD and you're like, I guess I know things, but now I'm in this new place and I have no idea what I'm doing. And so... Being an undergrad or a grad student or a postdoc or like a new professor, all of those things have their very unique set of challenges and giving those people the possibility to talk about their science, get some exposure. It's so, so important. And usually you get those opportunities at like a big ACS conference and you get like five people in there and maybe four of them are already giving a talk at your same section session. So so yeah, that's that's our goal, and I think that so far it's it's gone pretty well, and we we hope to keep it going for as long as possible. Do you think the lack of opportunities, perhaps, then that aren't afforded to students that Jaws kind of like allows? Do you think that's something that needs to be combated like more deeply you know this is kind of solving the problem to an extent but you know how, how might you see that that could be solved further that's a great question yes i do think that jaws is a drop in a bucket right and i yes in a drop in, in the ocean maybe you know pretty much yes <laughs> in an ocean with not as many sharks as we should have i guess i mean ideally imagine if we could have like international chapters of JAWS, like that would be amazing, right? But yes, I think that the way science is structured in general, it's very vertical, very hierarchical, and we keep giving, we keep giving the stage to the people up here. And and yes, being, being a PI is a lot of hard work. It's not easy, right? Particularly when you're starting, but the truth is, the people who are doing the science, again, don't always get the chance to make a name for themselves. And I think that that's, that's a bigger problem, right? That's, that's the way academia is structured. And I don't think that JAWS can change that. We can mitigate the effects, but we can't change the way academia is, is structured. And I don't know how we would do that. Because I think that there's, I will say, I see a lot of new, younger people, right, who are starting as professors now, who do see this as a problem and want to combat it and think are going in the right direction. So I do think that academia will get better, 
but I don't necessarily think that that's going to happen in the next five years to, to the to the extent where like draws would not be necessary. You have like the Gordon conferences are really good in that sense because they do the Gordon research seminars and those definitely give you a chance. But at the same time, those are expensive, right? And those are particularly expensive if you are from a small school or from another country. Like if you are if you are in the US, you can go to a, a GRS more easily. So GRS is the Gordon Research Seminar, which is for grad students and postdocs. But if you are, maybe if you're an international and let's say international from Europe, maybe you can go and maybe you have the money, but if you are international, maybe from South America, where I'm from, maybe it's harder, right? It's just more expensive, more paperwork, like visa-related stuff like that. So, and and I do see the problem of science is very U.S. slash Europe centric, right? So that adds to the problem. I don't think JAWS is going to change the world in that sense. I do think we're making a difference. I do think it's good, and I. Certainly hope to keep working on this for a long time, but I think that there's there's more than we need than than just that, right? And I don't exactly know how we would get there because it needs a concerted effort from a lot of people and a lot of people who have benefited from this system. Yeah, I think I think definitely that's what it demonstrates is that, you know, you said it's a community of people that, you know, founded JAWS and contribute to it now. So, you know, to change a system isn't just a single effort it takes you know many people over many years to do that and it needs ultimately it does need the encouragement of those higher up pis which is you know the hard part because you know that's almost the thing you're trying to combat but as you say that's the way the system is and you know it doesn't change overnight yeah you talked about uh so you mentioned how um you're you have a background from from south america and uh we were wondering so how do you think your your background so the fact that you're not from the US uh, helped you to to be where you are right now because you always think about not being from the US as a disadvantage and a challenge but i think there's always the a good side of it too because it makes you different so could you comment more on that and share with us your experience that's that's such a good question and i think what you just said is so true it's usually seen as a disadvantage and I feel that in a way you can turn it into an advantage or not, depending on how you frame it in your head almost, right? And I will start by saying I do have the advantage of passing as white and American very easily as long as I don't start talking. And and then it depends on who am I talking to. But like my accent does give me away. But if I'm just standing there, I could be American, right? You know? So that does help me. Um, there's a bunch of other prejudices and barriers that I don't face for that. But I think that first, and this is not just me not being from the U.S. It's my personal story. My family moved a lot when I was growing up. So I am used to being the new girl. I hate it, but I'm used to it. So that has helped me from the point of view that whenever I am the new person in a place, I'm already kind of used to that. Right. So it's like, okay, let's do this. You know, I think that particularly after the the, the first time you are, you are new, it, it sucks. The the first time you are new in the U S it sucks. And there are so many things that you need to figure out and so many things that are different. And no matter how, no matter how similar 
your country is to the U.S., there are still things that are different. I clearly don't know what it would be like to be a Canadian in the U.S., but I can imagine that there are things that are different even if you are Canadian, which is kind of the closest I can think of. I think so. I think that once you get over the first, the first time is the hardest one in that case, but there is a richness of experiences that you have and you have a different perspective. And I think it has helped me put myself in other people's shoes. I don't know what it's like to be Indian in the U.S. I have no idea. But I do know what it's like to land from a plane, you know, from a different continent or from like a different country and be like, what the hell, what am I? And having a hard time with accents and Americans can speak very fast and what is going on now. And I think that that has helped me. I think that there's a flexibility and a plasticity, you know, like there's this this thing about how you have to be very adaptable. And after the the first tough times, after you get over the, the... the tough initial times, you realize that you are more adaptable than others, right? Than ah, the locals, because I, I was going to say Americans, but maybe you're living in a different country. Like the locals have have had less to contend with from the point of view of change, maybe, whereas you uprooted yourself. And, and I do think that in the end, that prepares you to better deal with like unexpected situations or or crappy things. You also have the advantage of different perspectives of being, of knowing how to do things differently. So I did research in Argentina before I moved uh, to MSU. And so there were things that maybe people around me in the US were expected to do in a certain way, like in a very fancy way, if you will. And I was used to just making do with whatever was around. And so I think that that also helped me to adapt to moments where maybe funding was a bit shorter or maybe we were waiting for something that was backordered and you had to make do. So sometimes I do feel that it makes you more resourceful. And I try to play this to my advantage. It also gives you the adaptability or or like it kind of gives you an excuse. You know, it's like, oh, I didn't know because I'm not from here. And of course, you don't want to abuse that, you know. But sometimes you can kind of play that and, and it's good. Or, or like, oh, I totally missed that reference because I'm not from here. Trying to kind of flip the tables on what it usually is because it can be very isolating when you miss that reference from like, I don't know, a Christmas story. Like I've yet to watch that movie and people around me will quote it. Like, the, I don't know, things like that, that yeah, I didn't grow up with that, you know? And so it can be very isolating But if you can laugh about it and kind of use it to your advantage, I think that it gives you, yeah, it gives you a different perspective. I think that the the richness of your perspective, combining your your life outside the U.S. and in the U.S., in my case, can be be very good. And the adaptability that you get is something that other people will lack. I do think that being, being an immigrant is a superpower. I honestly do think that. And I think that there's research showing 
something along those lines too. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think one of the things that I really like too is how acceptable some people are of your culture. And that makes it so much like home because when, when an American friend would be like, oh, like, what is it like that you're talking about? Like, tell me more about it. I'm like, let me just not shut up about this. And, and you're just <laughs> so excited about it. And you feel suddenly that even though you're so far from home, you are home, you know? So it's it's all thanks to those people who make it actually warm and nice here. Hundred percent. I always tell people because I've had this conversation before, when someone will say, "Well, but I I don't want to offend you by asking you like what is it like." And I said, I've always said, as long as it's honest, right? As long as you're really honestly want to know about I don't know what is food like in Argentina or what or whatever. I will happily tell you, I will happily not shut up about my country, right? As long as it, it, you sound genuinely interested, I'll happily do that. And yeah, when, whenever you get people who are honestly interested in hearing about, yeah, what is, I don't know, what was the street you grew up on? Whatever, you know, whatever it is. It's just so nice. And it does help you with, with homesickness, right? Because you get to talk about your 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 corner of the world and it's so it's really nice so yeah i do i do appreciate when people are honestly interested in it i mean so would you would you encourage them perhaps undergraduates who maybe i don't know consider taking some time away to do research in another country do you think that would kind of enhance their like well not just their cv in terms of experiences but like culturally as well 100 percent, 100 percent. i think that anytime you can get out of your comfort zone is good right with my own students, so I, I have students who, who do research in my in my lab, and as much as I love having them around, I also encourage them to go other places if they can, right? Be it in the U.S. or if they can go abroad, even better. But I do think that it's very useful to, yeah, get out of your comfort zone, see how things are done in other places in general. And I think that, indeed, when you are in a different country, there are a lot of unknowns and unexpected situations that you have to deal with. Anything from, I don't know how to order a coffee in Germany, you know, to, oh my God, I'm in the middle of Thailand and my train just left and I'm stranded here. I don't, never been to Thailand, but it sounds like an amazing place to visit. But those kinds of things where being able to put up with that and to handle those situations makes you grow and it makes you be less afraid. Um, and I think that that makes you better suited for anything. Being able to, like not being afraid to screw up, you know, being willing, being okay with making a fool of yourself in front of this person who is about to sell you a coffee in, I don't know, Germany. Those things are important, right? Because if we take ourselves too seriously and we are so afraid of screwing up, we're not going to do anything. And it comes back to that thing you said about adaptability, really about like being able to, you know, change your approach to, you know, solving problems. And, you know, that's what scientists do at the end of the day, you know, all about solving, you know, problems that crop up and things like that. Absolutely. And I guess the best thing is connecting with people from other cultures and just having friends all over the world, which is like amazing. Because you can travel anywhere and you'll find a place to stay or a place people to visit and, it's just awesome. I love it. So we encourage everyone travel and explore other places 
for undergrad grad st studies or, or for postdoc definitely 100% yes so a random question that we had for you what will you eat for dinner tonight I was curious I think I was making a dinner when I was making this question <laughs> mm -hmm. what am I having for dinner tonight yes I have no idea maybe I should check with my husband I don't know <laughs> What would you like to have a dinner for tonight? That's a good question. Um, so one of the, we, we live in kind, it's not rural Michigan. It's mm -hmm. like a suburb, but like we have a literal cornfield across the street. So we, it's, it's a very nice place. And there is this awesome butcher shop close to us and they make their own sausages or brats. I, I think, I guess technically they are brats and They're really good. And so I wouldn't mind grilling some of those for dinner. That would be a pretty, a pretty good dinner. One of my least favorite things about being an adult is having to figure out what's for dinner. <laughs> I, I, you know? I can relate for sure. Yeah. I was talking to, to some students the other day and I was saying, I can, I can make a pretty good, you know, I, I'm a fairly good cook. But the problem is that I stay away. I don't make elaborate dishes very often because I just don't have the time or energy. You know, so if, if it can be like the equivalent of a dump and stir reaction, but in like a crock pot or like pressure cooker or something like that, that's what I want because I don't want to deal with the hassle. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Yeah, slow cooker is my best friend in the winter. You know, stews, casseroles, chilies, it's amazing. 100%. Over, over rice, there you go. Mm -hmm. so I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to make a chicken salad. I think we said at the beginning about talking about the weather. It's so warm here. I don't want anything too hot. So just a chicken Caesar salad will be nice and get all the vegetables in as well. How about you, Medina? The best solution from not cooking dinner is to go out for dinner. So I think that's what I'm going to do tonight. <laughs> I don't like cooking. So I don't know. The more chemistry I do, the less cooking I want to do at home. Like I'm in the lab all day and then I come at like seven, eight and then I'm like, I don't want to do anything. I just, can I just order something? I'm going to be broke by the end of this year. I swear to God. This is, I, I keep eating out because I just don't want to cook. And then, you know, Sunday's the only day when you can relax. So you don't want to spend seven hours on meal prepping for the next week. I don't know. It's complicating. So. Oh, I, I 100% understand that. Yeah. Every week I tell my husband that we need to start meal prepping and like meal planning. And it's always like, yeah, I mean, it sounds like a great idea. But that is, means we yeah. have to spend time doing that. Yep. <laughs> and yes, um, yeah. that is that is a that is a problem. And the piles of dishes afterwards because you want to cook different food because that's healthier. Oh my God. No, it's just. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We always like to finish off, Danny, with like a philosophical question. And it's kind of related to what you said about in the pre recording about you mentioned about you and Pope Francis, correct me if I'm wrong, being from the same part of Buenos Aires. And it's correct. That's awesome. That's claim to fame that. That, that and Jaws for sure. You know, if, uh, you know, if, if that ever's. Credited by Spielberg, then you know that's another one as well. <laughs> It might be. Who knows? Do you think you're going to need a bigger boat for uh, for Jules? We we do hope so. Yeah. <laughs> we most certainly hope so. If anyone's not watched Jaws, the film, like go and go and watch it to so understand that reference. Thank you, thank you for making that reference because I was worried. I was like, I haven't watched Jaws, but I really want to comment on the movie, and I was like, Henry just uh -huh. saved it. Thank you because I haven't go. watched it. <laughs> Great. Okay, I haven't I haven't watched the movie either. Oh my I know God, the references, yeah. but yeah. you know, and I know that the music. It's it's those things, but yes, I, I need to watch the movie. Everyone should watch shows. 
with developments in our understanding of science, do you ever think that this will make religion and philosophy obsolete? And if so, or if not, why do you think that? So I don't think it will. And it's an interesting question because I this is this may be a not so known fact about me, but I'm an atheist. I, I grew up an atheist. Uh, and being an atheist in a Catholic country is interesting, right? It's like, I've been a minority in that sense my whole life, and I never quite thought about it. I've, I've recently started thinking about that. But anyway, so my view of science is different in that sense, right? And actually, this question reminds me of when I was in undergrad, I had a biochemistry professor who was actually part of the o Opus Dei. Is that how you say it? Well, that's how you say it. It's, it's like this big Catholic organization. And he is, I hope he still is. I don't think he has passed. I think he's still alive. Very religious, as far as I know. And towards the end of our semester together, he told the class that he talked about how religion and science don't necessarily have to be antagonistic. Which was super interesting to me because I I couldn't quite understand how you would kind of consile both of those, right? Like how how would you put those those two together? Because to me, being an atheist, religion and science felt very antagonistic. I think that and and, and this is my my hot take. I am very respectful of people's beliefs and religions. I don't like organized religion. I very my I very much dislike the Catholic Church as a big organization who has immense power. And so I would like to believe that maybe organized religion and like big churches, if you will, having a lot of power that might decrease as science gets better and better. But I don't think that people will stop being spiritual. And I certainly hope that people will not stop being spiritual and introspective. So I do hope that religion and philosophy continue to exist. I can't imagine, I think that the more advanced science becomes, questions of morality and ethics become more important, right? And, and we do need philosophy for that, understanding how the ethics of our decisions regarding science, we can't just like sidestep those. Anything from assisted death, to abortion, to stem cell research, to anything like that and more. I'm sure I'm missing out on lots of things that I'm completely ignorant about. All of those, we do need philosophy to really help us figure out what's the best way of doing things, right? And how do we respect humanity and how do we respect people's well-being while doing science and pushing the boundaries of science, right? And, and I do think that people being spiritual and, and whatever that means for people, for individual people, it is, it is key. And I don't think that's going away. Now, here's where I start with my re revolutionary socialist side. I also think that science, if we were to try to get religion out of the way, I don't think it's necessary. But if we wanted to, the way we teach science and the way people relate to science would have to be different. Because I think that, and, and I say this as an atheist, so this is a very ignorant opinion. I don't know, I'm just, I'm just saying it without the experience of being a religious person, but I think that part of the reason why we turn to religion is because of all the unknown, right? How do we cope with so many things that we don't understand? And, and how do we make sense of the world as a whole, not just 
not just science, right? And so I think that um, unless we start teaching science better and, and really teach science not as a chore or as a punishment or as like this thing that only some people understand, I don't think we can ever get religion out of the picture. And I don't think we need to get religion out of the picture. But I do think that, I think that what would be ideal would be to have religion and science not be antagonistic, right? And be just two ways in which we make sense of the world. And I think that in order to do that, the way we teach science and the relationship that society has with science has to change. And that is a massive change from the point of view of the education system, right? I think that this pandemic has put a lot of that very clearly in front of us. The way people don't trust science because, oh, they are changing their minds every, you know, every two weeks they come up with a different regulation or recommendation. I think that that really shows that we are not showing what science is like and how science is done. Uh, and that we have not done a good job of, I don't think we're doing a good job of teaching science to non-scientists. And while that keeps happening, more and more people will, will turn to religion, which may not, they may not understand necessarily, but it gives them answers. Whereas science can give you answers, but it might take longer, right? And so I think that how do we put those two things together changes depending on, like, how science and religion interact has changed over over time. But I think it can still change much more, but it depends on how scientists teach science. And again, a lot of this is from, it's almost like an outsider's opinion because I've never, I've never had to put science and religion together. And again, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't think that those things are ever going to go away. I don't think that philosophy or religion will ever become obsolete. I don't think they should become obsolete, but I do think that it depends a lot on what plane we're talking about. Like, are we talking about how will scientists become less religions? I don't know. I don't think so. I think definitely that's a question, you know, it could be for a whole other episode, but I think those insights are kind of really interesting. And I think it's certainly science is for a lot of people a black box where religion perhaps answers the questions they might have, um, which allows them to kind of have that faith that, you know, those that believe in, um, you know, do. So, yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think definitely a lot of people are going to perhaps relate with your, your your kind of views and thoughts on that. So thank you for that. Of course. No, oh, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. It was an interesting, unbiased. I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's unbiased. I think I, I am biased because, right, it's, it's, it's a very personal opinion, right. right? No, but like in terms of like you're not religious person, so it's like you're not, you know, so that's why you're not really talking from that point of view. That's right. Why. But uh, yeah, it's I think that one of the worst things that we can do in general is try to put religion and science as too antagonistic. This is something that I've learned from my many religious friends, that those two things can answer different questions. And I think that as long as they answer different questions, that's good. That's true. Yeah, that's a very good conclusions but it's it's tricky and and as long as there are powerful people who want to push one agenda over the other that's 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 different it brings it full circle back to the beginning we talked about you know pis and and, and kind of conferences and that kind of thing about opportunities for presenting and it just 
shows that there is a systemic change that needs to occur at some point um, around the whole thing of science and religion. So, you know, that's, again, thanks thanks for your insights on that. And I think it's been a brilliant discussion today on all these different <laughs> topics. So yeah, uh, really enjoyed Thank it. You. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. This was fun. And I hope my disjointed thoughts made some ideas. But No, we loved it. It was it was amazing. It was very insightful. Yeah. If uh, if people want to reach out to you, Danny, what's the, what's the best way they can get in touch? Twitter is always a great... A great way. My my DMs are open. I am dr underscore Danny, which is D A N I underscore A R. So Doctor Danny R on Twitter, and that's probably the one of the best ways. And also my email is d arias r. So d a r i a s r at kzu. That's k z oo.edu so either twitter dms or email those are two good ways there's also joss so joss is um handled both in twitter and on instagram is joss cam but in that case it's not just me i i may not be the one replying to that message but those are all good ways to to get in touch and please do i love meeting people and what if there's one thing that i've learned in my time in science is that you are as strong as your network is and getting a network is not always easy. So if I can be part of your network, whoever you are and wherever you are, if I can be part of your network, I'm happy to, to be there. So please do reach out. Amazing. Yeah. And if uh, anyone wants to follow us as well, uh, in, the, in the meantime, you can over on Twitter at CanConversePod. Uh, and we just want to say uh, thank you to everyone for listening. And yeah, have a great day. Yeah, have a great day.